This is the Relevant Podcast. It's the week of August 14th, 2020. It's halfway through August, and it's the Relevant Podcast here in Orlando. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Austin, Texas, author, podcaster, extraordinaire, Jamie oh, thank Ivey. You. I don't thank you for one. that. Hey, guys. <laughs> and from Nashville, Tennessee, artist, producer, entrepreneur, mogul, Derek Miner. What up, dude? (laughs) We have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, we talk to Jesse. Get ready for it. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Devon Franklin is Mm. on the show. He brings it. He brings the the thunder. I can tell you this. I can tell you this. Uh, Tyler just finished the interview, and he told me how inspiring it was. Like He was like, man. He brings it this week. So I'm telling you. I'm telling there you. There you go. All right. And also, uh, we're joined by Jenny Lusco. She has a new book out called Fight to Flourish. And it's actually, she's now officially bestseller, Jenny Lusco. It is her. Wow. Congratulations. Congrats yeah. to her. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, before we get the show going, though, I got to, I got to, last week, I told the listener a little theater of the mind about yeah. Derek Miner's tank top. Right. Uh, <laughs> this this week, I need the the audience to know what I'm looking at. What's Jesse that? Jesse is in some sort of solarium high up That's in the right. mountains. My mountain home. <laughs> I and, and like in a minute ago, Derek Miner was like he 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 was just switching through. Like now he was at, doing the interview at the, at the office. I, I, oh. I moved to my my beach gazebo. Okay, so I was in. You guys, you, listen. Everyone who listened to this. Zoom has just become a part of life, right? Like it, one day we all just woke up, and one of the one of the weird consequences of all of this is we all were using like I don't even know if I ever used Zoom before. I was like aware of it, but I never really, you know, there was all these. It was just Zoom is here, and this is what we're all doing now. Okay, we're all right. zooming, right. and <laughs> none of us really took the time to just figure it out. I mean, we've all been doing the same thing: is hey, send me a Zoom link, you click on a link, and you're talking. That's all we do. No one's right. ever tinkered with it, you know. Right. People are beginning to tinker. I was in a Zoom meeting the other day, and I, I'm actually going to go to the background that I that I saw. Okay, I was in a Zoom meeting the other day, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to sit straight forward for you guys. Okay, so if my microphone, we're recording a podcast here, so I have a microphone that's kind of thrown off the technology. I'm going to sit straight forward for one second, and I'm going to I'm going to give you guys a look at what my what my Zoom partner looked like. Okay, so it looks it looks like he is in a well furnished high rise apartment, and right. I was probably halfway through the call, and I almost said something like, "Dude, that is a dope pad you had there." Like I almost <laughs> I almost said that and made a fool of myself, you know, because the, the other thing too is when when you're zooming, it's your Brady Bunch style. Everyone's cubed up in the screen, so they're pretty small visual areas, right? So you're not like inspecting them closely. Right. So anyway, it was about halfway through, and I was like, "Oh, dude, that's that's some sort of like custom background." So the other night. I was just goofing around and I was like, I should, I should go ahead and get a couple so I can look super professional. And I went to, <laughs> and this is, you know, where, where some businesses see obstacles, others see possibilities. So West right. Elm, like the furniture company went ahead and like just, just made a bunch of zoom backgrounds 
base with with like really dope places with their furniture in it. So there is my I now have I can now zoom from a virtual mountain house from a virtual beach house. Uh, you know, for, right now I'm in my high rise apartment and I'm just not going to tell people I am just going to make them think that I have some sort of palatial mansion that is somehow geographically stretches to, to different regions across the country, depending on what quarter of the house we're in. I'm taking the time to, to, to use Zoom to really knock some people's socks off. I'm just going to be honest. I, I don't know if I have a dirty mind, but just the titles and the way you were saying, like, the way we're Zooming and I, the way I Zoom, it sounds like some futuristic drug from, like, a, a old 90s uh, Sylvester Stallone movie. Like, oh, those were good jet. movies, and by the like way. they try to stop yeah, the bad guys from selling Zoom on the street. Like, I don't know. Did, they, did it feel like that to y'all? Or maybe I'm just... This you know, is the, a pop culture. Zoom do. backgrounds are the new drug, Derek. I am addicted to these. And <laughs> my only <I> experience <laughs> with these virtual backgrounds is uh, for the last couple of weeks, I've been able to be one of those virtual fans for the Orlando mm-hmm. Magic games. Mm-hmm. And they use Microsoft Teams, they, that their software platform. They don't use Zoom yeah. for the games. But like you go into it and you have. 20 people sitting in your section is just 20 people basically zooming. And then they, they put you in the seats. Like they put you, like they change out your background and it looks like you're That's sitting in the seats. That's what I was going to ask. I was wondering that, too. How is that? How is that working? Is it just, you have to have a certain type of chair or cause it looks like the chair and the background is exactly the same. Like that's some really yeah. good green screen it, it, for it, real. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Ba- but it's basically like this, you know, so it is this. So mm. Jesse joined me for the game yesterday. Yeah. He, he was a virtual fan as well. And so he knows you're just sitting there. We're not doing anything special. And all of a sudden, like it perfectly takes you out and puts you in the arena. It's really, it's really amazing. Although there that's was dope. one glitch on my section yesterday there was a kid sitting two seats down from me that had the laptop like on his coffee table and he was yeah. sitting on his couch and the whole couch was on the feed. So oh. it looked like mm. the kid brought a couch to the game. Because he was sitting like cross leg up on the couch. So it just That's got the funny. whole couch. And it was really funny because then the people sitting next to him were like, could see it and they were virtually like laying their head on the couch too and stuff. It's funny, but all right, well, moving the show along, it is time for our weekly look at what's happening at the intersection of faith and culture. It's time for it's the hottest, the it's Yeah. Welcome to the show. Relevant senior editor, Tyler Huckabee. Hey, Tyler. It, it is sizzling this week. <laughs> <laughs> it's mid August, man. Everything's sizzling. Oh yeah. It's hot. Outside. Just, it's when ugly you think, outside. just when you think things can't possibly get hotter, they get hotter. They just <laughs> like, it is mercury rising every week. And is, is it bad there in, uh, in the lover lands of, uh, Virginia? Like temperature wise, it's been yeah. pretty hot. But I, I yeah, I mean, it, it, we actually. Oh, some you're just talking about culture. In I'm general. just talking about culture. Like every time we come in with a hot list, it's like, oh boy, there's no way we're topping Jerry Falwell with his pants unbuttoned. <laughs> like, and then that's it. Oh. But like, we should every, do an update. Yeah. Oh yeah. Speaking of which, I know the hot list, and this is not on the list. So we should say, since we spent half the show last week talking about <laughs> Liberty University. Uh, uh, the day that the podcast came out on Friday, it was announced, Tyler, take it away. It it was announced that the board had agreed with Falwell to, uh, put him on indefinite hiatus from Mm. he's taken an, uh, an indefinite leave of absence, 
as the leader of Liberty University, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, we don't really know what it means. <laughs> like, well, an indefinite hiatus can look like a lot of different things, obviously. Uh, since that time, there has been a collective of Liberty students and faculty, staff, and alumni who have come together, started a new website uh, calling for his permanent removal and asked for a new lead. They've even put together a timeline of his many scandals, which is, uh, that was no mean feat to get all those together. So they're calling for that. But we don't know that that's going to be the case. They have a new interim leader. In the meantime, a board member has is taking his place at least temporarily. But what this means for the future of Liberty or Falwell remains to be seen. It was interesting to see the online reaction after we posted this. Uh, uh, you know, the majority were like, "This is the right move for Liberty." We're we're proud of the the board for taking action. Then there was this chunk of people saying, "Doesn't this seem like an overreaction? Like he's getting for this that photo? Like you know that like that requires it?" And and people were replying to those respondents saying this was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Like this was mm. not the totality of why this action was taken. It was just the most recent thing in a long string of things. So it's a very interesting situation and we'll, you know, keep you all abreast of it. But yeah. yeah. So yeah. considering we gave so much airtime to the situation last week, yeah. I we should probably yeah. update it. <laughs> it it was right. a whole week ago from the time people will be hearing yeah. this, but we should yeah. admit the yeah. due diligence. That's the update that we have right now. And go. for all, for all we know, it could have changed again by the time his indefinite leave could be over by the time this podcast is supposed <laughs> oh, to actually. Oh so, let's not. The new cycle, <laughs> the new cycle's moving fast. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, but we're we start we're kicking off with oh you want to talk about hot news oh my goodness this is we're we're, we're leading off on the right foot do you all remember Jesse I know you do um, but I'm wondering if the rest of you remember it too the last year there was a fan made fake trailer for a hypothetical dark gritty reboot of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air does yes. this do y'all remember that yeah it was as um, though Christopher Nolan took yeah. it because um, if you look at the premise of the show it actually is a dark context gritty urban life got into trouble had to go to california kid, just to yeah. make it you know fish out of water you know the tension of wealth and being true to yourself i mean the whole thing really has a dark under undertone to it a serious my, my friend seda was in that shout out seda k See, I wanted to get to that because that is, uh, let's circle back on that because that is, yeah. I want to talk about the people who were involved in this. Uh, it was all put together by this, uh, by, the, by this amateur filmmaker named Morgan Cooper who lives in Kansas City. And it was just sort of one of those internet goof things. You know, you get your buddies together and say, let's, let's make this fun little three minute video. Thing. Actually, I think, uh, Clark, we have a little clip from that. Why don't you play that? See, for some reason you think this is a game. This is not a game, Will. Look at you. Look at you. The only reason why you're not in jail is because Uncle Phil called in a favor. <laughs> and it goes out from there, right? I want to. I want to see this movie. Yeah. Well, so the the <laughs> you and you're not the only one because this this went viral. We covered it actually, Jesse. I think you wrote about it on relevant website at the time that yeah. it came out, and uh, it was it was uh, it caught the attention of a guy by the name of Will Smith. 
And Will was so interested in this idea and this like gritty remake that he called up Morgan Cooper. They started meeting and now this is going to be an actual show. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is getting a, a gritty, serious, dramatic reboot. It's going to be called right now. Working title is just Bel-Air. And uh, there's a bidding war for it. It looks like Netflix, HBO Max and uh, and FX are all interested trying to get it. They're, wow. they're, they're trying to shell out some money for this and, and i think well i want to that so that's the news that's really about all we know right now will is on as executive producer along with the original produ- producer quincy jones is also oh, back wow. this ad. he's back to help produce go. it and uh, and cooper has been which is doesn't always happen uh but he has been brought on he will be writing and directing and show running this as well so it's cool that this little amateur thing he put together actually has ended up with him being a job having a job for what's probably going to be one of the hottest tv commodities of uh, when it comes out so that's the that's the bare facts that's what we know right now what do y'all think the, the crazy thing to me is the idea that you could take this silly sitcom from the 90s and do a gritty dramatic reboot but if you look at like the 1960s campy batman and look at christopher nolan's interpretation mm, like it's yeah. the same thing it works it will yeah, work what yeah. the heck just happened did you see that like all the lights on my house just like started going crazy <laughs> I feel like it's I feel UFOs. like well, well, just behind the scenes for everyone. Cameron's his electronics in his home just started acting off on their own, and I feel like we're in one of those new Zoom horror movies that are coming out. <laughs> where they just shoot it all through Zoom. It's like, hey, what's going on, man? Oh, nothing, nothing. And there's like a creepy figure and there's, like, there's like a creepy figure in a robe, like walking by. Like, is there a druid in your house? Um, I spoke the name Christopher Nolan, and all yeah, my yeah, lights yeah. started flickering yeah, three, well, three times. Three times, and time moves backwards in your house. Quick things. One, we obviously have a question of the week established very early in the show. What, 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 what sitcom do you want to see have a gritty reboot and who should star in it? Um, two, <laughs> two, I can't wait to hear feedback on that. Two, the only thing, I won't say the only, but the, for me, the major thing that doesn't hold off in the original Frost, Pr- Fresh Prince, I occasionally will like come back to it and watch clips or something because I really liked it when I was a kid, is the basketball scenes. They, the, 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 the production team made zero effort to even make it look like a real basketball. Like a six foot rim. They're playing on six foot rims. It's not even a three quarter court. And yeah. it, you know the basketball is absurd. I do think, like to Cameron's point, that was the time in, in the age of sitcoms where they would basically just kind of phone in stuff. It was it was almost. I mean those those three camera sitcoms from that era. You know this is an indictment on the Fresh Prince because, like I said, I think it's a it's a real institution that's really held up well. But a lot of those sitcoms from that era were basically stage plays that were shot on three cameras. You know it's very limited mm-hmm. sets. The production was very limited and it was just characters kind of walking into a room, shooting it from different angles and talking, you know, where the approach to TV and especially a lot of those FX series, um, you know, have big set pieces and are single camera. And I, I even just to see the production value elevated, I think would be really interesting. Can I say this though? HBO Max came out and HBO Max has the Fresh <laughs> Prince on it. And after I watched like the one show on HBO Max that I was interested in, I started like clicking around in their archives. And like last week, I happened to, I was like, I'm going to, I'm just going to go back into the Fresh Prince and see if it holds up, you know? So I kind of watched, I kind of jumped around, right? It totally holds up. But I'll tell you this, that finale is one of the best moments in television history still. Mm -hmm. Like the the final moments of the finale move you 
like they moved you in 1996 when they happened. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it is so good. And if you have HBO Max, go watch it. It's it's worth watching. A lot of those like black sitcoms were amazing. The Jamie Foxx show was crazy. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Freaking the Martin. Martin, Martin? was crazy. <laughs> That's my fave. Martin was legendary. Like yeah. they were. Those guys are legends for a reason. Like Martin, yeah. Jamie Foxx, Fresh Prince. Like all those guys made some legendary things. Man, it was it was very culturally progressive in my in my perspective. You know. Right. Jamie, if you had to see, if you had to have one sitcom, you know, from back in the day, be rebooted, (laughs) what would you choose? I'm very curious. I mean, I used to remember we used to watch everything on Friday nights. What was it called? Uh, TGIF. TGIF. I mean, we would watch all those sitcoms and you had to watch, you had to be there when it happened. You know, you can't watch it later. You got to be there and don't run to the restroom where you're going to miss something. Um, I mean, I love Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but Cameron, I don't remember the finale. I'm sitting here thinking like, I don't know. I don't remember it. My the friends and I used to watch Uncle Martin Phil a lot. And Will, oh, they have the final moment, and Will's being Will staying in LA, and the family's moving away, and so mm. it's a father son. Oh my goodness! It's just, it just if you're a if you're a guy and you have a dad, you're crying. I mean, it oh, is yeah. it, it is or don't have a dad. I mean, I mean, well yeah. well, yeah. What about the what about the moment when Will meets his dad for the his yeah, dad like comes yeah. back, and then his dad walks out on him, and Uncle Phil. I was like, I was like I nine years old, but just, just eating Cheetos on the couch. And all of a sudden my, my whole emotional world is getting turned upside down. <laughs> yeah, man. Father of man, I wasn't ready for that. Yeah, Jamie, man. I, 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 the only thing like, guys, I love TGIF too. And I, it was like appointment viewing at my home growing up and I watched a lot of TV growing up anyway, but like, I'm trying to think like, I don't, I'm trying to think how any of those shows would hold up as gritty reboots. And the first one that comes to mind is like, the, 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 like very problematic like one family matters it's like so yes. this is just a show about bullying the nerd next door or like perfect strangers we're just making fun of like a foreigner like you know what, that's the whole crux of the show you know what full house could be done like this is us like super dramatic mom's dead parenthood, the family's yeah. trying to raise the kids or parenthood right it could be done like that the one i would like to see is perfect strangers in the era of immigration and Middle East immigrants and stuff like that, cousin Balky being like a gritty, like, like you know, I just think after nine eleven, Perfect Strangers plays different. I don't remember yeah. that show. I don't even know what it is. Cousin Larry and Balky. Uh, yeah, Balky was the man. I, yeah, I, I would watch a Hangout Mr. Cooper reboot. Yeah, remember what's Hang-O gritty Mr. about that? What's the undertone would, though? It would be like He's in the it, Bay. That's what's gritty about it. Yeah, first of all, yeah, it would be like it would be like True. remember remember Coach True. Carter yeah. yeah, remember Coach Carter with like where he's like a basketball coach, but he's yeah. also like a teacher and mentor. It, and, and Mark Curry, I was I I thought it was hilarious back in the day. I think I think that'd be. I don't know. I'm not that Dude, I. I just watched. Any. If I don't know if you watch um, on, on Netflix some of the sports documentaries, but uh, Last Chance You I mentioned yeah. a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. The current season is about Laney College, the the community college that's been a long time in the center of Oakland, mm. and they followed the team. And what's interesting about Laney is they don't offer scholarships in California in JUCO schools, so kids got to pay their own way. The athletes have to pay their own way. They got to provide their own housing, and then you know play. And they're in the middle of Oakland and with the gentrification of the Bay area, literal football players are sleeping in their cars. Like they're homeless because they can't afford to live there anymore. And so half the series is talking about the changing community 
and the role of the college, how it's affecting the college, the livability of the area and stuff and how Oakland, cause it's all Oakland kids and how, you know, they're having a, one kid is having to uh, drive in two hours cause his family had to move two hours out of Oakland where he grew up and he drives in two hours every day to just be able to go to college and stuff. It's crazy. Dude. You mentioned Oakland, dude, that would be a good show. Hanging it'd with Mr. Crazy. Cooper today would be nuts. Yeah. It'd yeah. be insane. Yeah. It'd be crazy. Can I, I deviate from, from like actual news reporting to just, this is, this may not even make the final cut, but this is, this is very, this is a very surreal experience for me as a, as somebody reporting on this story, I went over to Morgan Cooper the guy who came up with this, I went over and I was just browsing through, like going through the tweets, trying to find any interesting personal info. And uh, just a few weeks ago, you know, you remember that we all had the childhood best friend, the, the brother in arms, the guy you were inseparable from, right? Everybody, everybody had yeah, one of those people. Sure. And he, and he just last month, he gave Micah Brown, my number one like kid that I grew up with. He's shouting him out on Twitter. Apparently, they're like super close friends. So proud of my guy, Micah, one of the most talented, hardworking people I've ever met. To see, to, to come across that while looking at this story was a very surreal, like upside down, what's real, what's not. Maybe this is Tenet. Maybe this is sort of the idea behind <laughs> Tenet. I don't, know. I don't totally know what the plot of Tenet is, but it threw me for a really weird loop. Yeah, the internet sliding doors. Yeah, sliding door situation. Wasn't there? I mean, I heard through the grapevine that a bunch of the people involved in doing that that film, that indie film last year, this Will Smith reboot, uh, were believers. Like they're involved in like worship or something. Yeah, Derek, you said you know one of them, right? Yeah, Seda. I think Seda played Hillary. Um, And yeah, she's she's a believer. She's actually shameless plug. She's actually signed to our label. We distribute her music, but she's uh that yeah, they have a whole thing, they're all believers, they're all and it's a good group of people. So to see that this happened for them, it's dope. I hope they carry the cast, but you never know. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But even if they get one or two people out of you know, in it, you know, it'd be dope. You know what I'm saying? I but see yeah, the, definitely. I, could, I a lot of them were well cast, but I could see a different Uncle Phil. Just FYI, mm. like I, he, I didn't connect with him. He wasn't intimidating enough mm. for me. But, right, but the right. will, the guy who, the, the guy who was will was was good. Oh, he was a, he's, he, he really like looked the part of a. Yeah, so that was cool. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, move on. So the next story here, and this is just a. Uh, this is just we're we're going into buckle up. Going into, we're getting we're getting political. So we're going to the world of politics, but I think this will be a pretty, uh, just some interesting, just some talking points earlier this week. Of course, uh, the, uh, presumptive democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden made history when he picked Kamala Harris to be his running mate. She's a first generation immigrant. She's the daughter of an Indian woman and a Jamaican man. They met as uh, they met as grad students at Berkeley actually. So she's not only the first black woman on a major party ticket, but also the first South Asian American woman as well. And I just wanted to give some of, she has kind of an interesting faith background uh, in addition to like just a very diverse uh, family background that I thought it'd be worth bringing up here because it is, it is sort of unique. So her family is evidently, uh, most of her family is still in India. She visits them quite a bit, visit them quite a bit growing up and they are Hindu. Her name, Kamala, is Sanskrit. It's a, it's, she, it's a name of a Hindu deity, but 
Harris herself was raised in the Black church. She wrote actually an essay for Bustle about a neighbor that she grew up with, Regina Shelton, who took her and her sister Maya to church every Sunday. Uh, She wrote in the essay, sitting alongside her, I was introduced to the teachings of the Bible. My earliest memories are of a loving God, a God who asked us to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves and to defend the rights of the poor and needy. This is where I learned that faith is a verb, something we must live and demonstrate through our actions. Um, so today she considers herself a black Baptist member of the black Baptist church. Um, she's married to a guy named Douglas Emhoff. He's a Jewish man. So, uh, an interfaith marriage also worth noting that, uh, that she's had some moments of controversy in her faith. Uh, she was criticized for not taking enough action on the Catholic church's abuse scandal when she was first the, uh, district attorney for San Francisco and also as the California attorney general, uh, spokesman for the victims of the abuse, a guy named Joey Piscoletti, said he couldn't get a response from her office when he tried to urge them to release records on abusive clergy. She's defended her record over that. She released a statement saying that she's been a staunch advocate on behalf of sexual assault victims, especially child sexual assault victims. She says she's used her position as DA to create the first unit focused on child sexual assault cases in the office's history. Now, that's true, but it's also true that it seems like people like victims of the Catholic church abuse scandal have had some real issues with how her office dealt with some of the fallout of that abuse scandal. So that could be something that could come up during the course of this campaign. Uh, she frequently invokes the parable of the good Samaritan. It's a favorite story of hers. It comes up in a lot of stump speeches that I found. She spoke at the poor people's campaign last year. And uh, she said that the reason she likes it so much is because it helps her understand what a neighbor is. She says a neighbor is not about having the same zip code what we learn about in Jesus's parable is that neighbor is someone you are walking by on the street. A neighbor is about understanding and living in service of others that we are all each other's brothers and sisters. So that's mm. sort of the, the initial bet, little bit of background on her faith story that I was able to find uh, looking around online. I'm curious how much the faith angle is going to be, uh, you know, talked about in this election. You well, know, I, like, I'm just worried about God getting hurt. I mean, I've heard rumors that one is out to hurt God and the Bible. I mean, he's vulnerable. <laughs> that's the buzz. That's the buzz I'm hearing. <laughs> I never just, knew that she was, uh, I didn't, I never knew that she uh, had a Southeast Asian ancestry or, or mm-hmm. background. So that's, I, didn't I think, I actually think that's amazing that, you know, she's she's broke so many barriers in the sense of a woman of color uh, and then in an interracial interracial marriage, interfaith marriage. Like she yeah. has so much intersectionality, which is dope because it really kind of that that's what I when I think of America, that's what I think of. I think mm-hmm. of all these different backgrounds coming together. And, and, I the, think, and the first candidate yeah, that went to a um, historically black college. And stuff. Yeah, first yeah. HBU. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, absolutely. So. I think it's great. I think it's amazing. Um, don't you know? As far as politically, the, the the fear I think is just man, we're so polarized. I don't know yeah. what in the it's yeah. it's like what in the world. I don't know what ticket you could put together that could rival just because the thing with Trump, like him or love him, he's always on brand and always on message, and it's clear who he's talking to, and it's always. They're always galvanized. So I said, but I did see a tweet yesterday that said 
don't let uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden distract you from the fact that we're voting for Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. So I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's enough to propel that over the yeah, <laughs> well, over I, Trump. I, I think, yeah, I mean, you, you know, I think the the one thing I've kind of seen about you know her her past and her legacy is you know she was a pros- she was a federal prosecutor. You know, I mean, her job she was, was to twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, I mean, her job was to uh, you know put people in prison. And look, I'm not this is not an indictment on prosecutors that in the criminal justice system, each side needs to have some sort of legal representation. But when it comes because justice reform, I feel like is going to be at the forefront. I mean, obviously, that that ultimately reforms to the criminal justice system are largely responsible for a lot of you know the 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 protests that that we've been seeing around the country is a call for criminal justice reform so i i'll be interested to see you know what her policies are when it comes to criminal justice reform because yeah. you know like i said this is an indictment on the job it's 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 more of a commentary on the system but this is some Someone who was a prosecutor uh, who is going to be, you know, hold the second highest office in the country at a time when the the rallying cry for uh, a lot of these protests are around ultimately reforms to law enforcement, and the criminal justice system. So yeah, I have seen, though, this week, racial justice activists saying, hey, we were very critical of her record as, you know, prosecutor in California. But since 2011, she has shifted her views, her statements, her policies, and, and her record has evolved immensely since that time in her career. And that these activists were saying she's among the top four uh, 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 legislators, like the top four uh, that are activating for racial justice reform, racial justice mm-hmm. issues, equality and things like that. So, I mean, people can change. You know, yeah, um, c- right. certainly, certainly. It's just an interesting dynamic. Jamie, what, what, were, what were your thoughts? Well, no, I was just listening to um, the Daily this morning from New York Times and they were talking about it and talking about one of the things that um, one of the things that she brings to the table for that campaign would be that she has this kind of prosecutor go after people don't take mm-hmm. any names and get stuff She's done, which she can bring yeah. against the, you know, the current administration. They were saying that about her, that she was going to be good at bringing to the table for bringing that to the table for the election year. Honestly, like if we're talking like debate or whatever, I'd rather it be like Kamala versus Trump rather than Joe versus Trump. Cause I just think Trump's going to, wipe the floor with Joe because Joe is seems like he's hard to formulate his thoughts really quick but Kamala is like she's like zoomed in let's be honest you know Joe Biden he's going to be the if he were elected the oldest you know president and so I think that that's been something their campaign is really looking to like okay so we need to have someone who can actually take things over if this were yeah. to go south. Yeah. And too, yeah, well, sure. my thought, my thought would be mm-hmm. that she's going to be like House of Cards. She's going to be the most powerful vice president in history. In Probably the sense that she won't yeah. be a figure role or a figurehead. She'll literally be involved, yeah. carrying a lot of the load for for Biden. I, my thought is that this is an interesting pick because, like, a lot of people were saying, like, if he went more progressive with his running mate. It would say one thing. He went centrist with his running mate and that they're trying to go after the middle of America. They're trying to go after the suburbs, 
soccer moms. They're trying to go after that kind of like Reagan Democrats back in the eighties, that, mm-hmm. that kind of like people who will span the line for, or cross the aisle for, you know, kind of like common good, common sense, not partisan, that that's what they're trying to do. That like the fringes are not happy with this, like on the right and the left, but that they don't care about the fringes. They're going after the middle. And it's an interesting play in a very, as you said, Derek, as in a very partisan era, you know, they're kind of trying to say, let's get back to normal. You know, they're trying to pivot away from the extreme left and the extreme right with this. Yeah. Which is, so we'll see. It makes, it, yeah. it makes it hard to blast Democrats as anti-cop. Right. Kamala is a cop. So it's, it takes out one and, of the big, dude, the big two, attacks. And you can't say like the Republicans are Christians and the Democrats are these heathens when both of the people on the Democratic ticket, especially Biden. I mean, he has Ash Wednesday Ash on his on his head every year. I mean, like they're involved in their faith. Yeah, uh, you know, they're, but people so, like that. People don't care. Like Obama said he was a Christian for the longest and that just because of his name, they called him a Muslim and, and yeah. then they started right. attacking his, his pastor or whatever, you know? Right. So because of, I think that's black liberation theology or whatever. So I, I don't think people really, I don't yeah. think they really care, but I do think with Tyler, I think for sure the defund the whole, because the whole thing about Biden so far, every ad I've seen from Trump is, Joe Biden wants to defund the police and you're going to not, you're going to call 911 and no one's there. I'm like, now you're going to call 911 and Kamala's there. Like, yo, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how are you going to spin this one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting, dog. And just for the listeners to be aware, we don't typically cover politics. We're faith, culture, life, justice, but obviously it's an election season. So we want you all to be informed. We want to talk about issues that we believe are faith focused issues. They're not left or right issues. They're, they're like, Hey, the Bible talks about immigration. The Bible talks about the least of these. The Bible talks about stands that believers should take. And, uh, some are on the left and some are on the right. And we need to wrestle with that. So we will talk about politics from that framework, but we aren't going to be like anti any candidate. Um, if you support, if you support Trump because of uh, Supreme court wanting to overturn Roe v. Wade, we get it. And if you support Biden, because you think that, you know, foreign policy and immigration policy needs to be more, uh, more focused on life and human dignity. We get it. You know, it's not about, we don't care. Honestly, relevant doesn't care who you vote for. We just think that we need to be having the right conversations, you know? And, um, Oh, I'm about to turn into Bill O'Reilly. That's just what it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's going down on this joint. Every day we bring in politics. Y'all about to be mad. Terrible for (laughs) our ratings. We need to to be really, Tyler, we need to be way more extreme, man. We need better ratings. It's time to crack it up, man. I'm about to go call Candace Owen. I'm sleeping on the spiciest takes, but I'll I'll, I'll bring it. I can do it. I can do it. You yeah. like y'all gonna start calling me Cameron Owen. That's what y'all gonna start calling me. <laughs> so, uh, one, the spicy one, takes. Yeah, one gotta, last right now. We'll, we'll, uh, this this will be a really interesting <laughs> one to get into, but we're going to get into it. I was telling Cameron, actually, I don't think I've ever had more people reach out to me saying, when are y'all going to talk about this than I have this story. So, 
So we're, we're doing it. I'm a, I'm a, I listened I listen to the listener. We hear you. We stay in with you. We're going to report on this. We're going to talk about a guy by the name of Sean Foyt. Um, he is somebody who has been on Relevant. He's actually been on this podcast before. Uh, he also was roommates with Jesse. He and well, yeah, well, Jesse, well, I believe well, you all have I, a yeah, we, weren't, we weren't roommates, but I have known him. We did. You know, I've known him since we've been 15 years old. You know, we went to that's what together. it was You're back in Virginia. So we, we had him on the podcast. He's a worship leader and now with Bethel. And so he had a new project coming out and we had, we had him come on because Jesse's known him since they were kids. Yeah. We, we, you know, I played in his worship band when we were kids and, you know, I say kids, teenagers, and we actually went to college together. So I've known him, I've known him for a very, very long time. And this story isn't necessarily going to paint him in the most flattering light, but I, but it is because he is something that we've offered our platform to in the past. I think it's also important that we, that we cover uh, what's, what, what he's doing right now. What's going on? So he was a he was a former uh, congressional candidate. Actually, he ran for in the midterms in 2018. In the past couple of weeks, he's been traveling across the U.S. holding large outdoor worship gatherings in defiance of local restrictions to flatten the COVID-19 curve. Uh, just on last Saturday, a crowd of thousands, according to him, thousands gathered to sing worship songs in Portland, Oregon, for an event called Riots to Revival. Local news reports said. That that most were not wearing masks and flouted social distancing measures. A video that Foyt posted showed the same thing as well. In interviews and on social media, Foyt has been vocal about his feelings on state-mandated social distancing guidelines and how he sees them as unfairly targeting houses of worship. He told Fox News, quote, it's a double standard. I'd say at best it's hypocrisy and at worst it's bigotry. You know there's a target on churches. Uh, Foy also went on Twitter to dub the White House's coronavirus task force member, Dr. Anthony Fauci, as, quote, America's high priest of wokeness. Um, now it's we need to note here that Foyt has been previously associated with Bethel, uh, the obviously the very influential Redding, California church that we've had many members uh, from on here over the years. Last month, following one of Foyt's outdoor events in Redding, the church posted a statement explaining that the event was quote not hosted or sponsored by Bethel Church. They did note that Sean and his family are valued attenders of the church, where he is a volunteer worship leader. To our knowledge, the event did include various community members, pastors, and church attenders from many local congregations in Shasta County, including individuals from Bethel. Uh, but they also said that, quote, concerns were shared with Sean. Uh, and while they had been told that there was a plan in place for safety, quote, the plan did not get implemented to the level it needed to be at this gathering. And that is something that should have been addressed more seriously. Now, more than ever, it's important for the entire community to carefully consider decisions and actions made as we seek to love and respect our neighbors. We share in the concerns of risk and potential negative impact that these events could have on the recovery and reopening of Shasta County as we navigate COVID-19. Um, so that's sort of the broad overview of what's happening here. Foyt has so far continued. He's still traveling across the U.S. hosting these events, does not seem terribly concerned about Bethel's statement or uh, other people who have posted concerns. He said on Fox, on a separate interview on Fox, we have to stand up. We need bold, courageous pastors that are not only going to stand on our constitutional rights to worship, but are going to stand up against the insanity of these laws that are targeting the church. Yeah. So yeah, basically, this, he's the Christian Smash Mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Smash Mouth did a similar had a similar concert. Yeah, I think their official statement was "F COVID." 
Yeah, no, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, th- this is this is you know I, I think a microcosm of a very large discussion that is is happening within the church and has been very polarizing. You know, um, and I will say this real quick, just to preface. Obviously, like I said, listen, I've 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 been friends with Sean a long time. I you know when I actually kind of became serious about my faith when I was like 15 years old, it was largely, you know, he had a big role in that, you know? And, um, so I, I want to say that, but I also think you can be friends with people and disagree with them about things. And this is, you know, I, I, on, on a lot of political and social issues, I probably, uh, you know, don't see eye to eye with him, you know, and I think hey, it's, and that is true. That's a good point. Cause like he's friends with like Abner from Johnny swim and they yeah. can be more opposite politically, but they're still friends. I mean, Sean sat by my, in my backyard and we had disagreements about politics and we can talk about these things and still be friends. Yeah. And I, and, but, but I do think I personally, and, and I, you know, I, I can't speak for, every Christian, but look, I think that erring on the side, well, first off, I think that the, the church is the body of Christ. The church is in a building. There's nothing that ties the church to meeting in indoor spaces. The, the, you know, even for, for outdoor, uh, you know, gatherings, I think, you know, the, look, you look at the first two commandments, love God and love your neighbor right now. It seems like scientifically all of the evidence pointing to, uh, ways that we can care for the least of these in society, or I say the least of these people who have immune deficiencies and are of poor health is to stop the spread of a virus that targets those people, you know, targets people who, who have health conditions. Uh, and not only that, wearing masks seems to be a measure that makes a lot of difference. And um, I also think there, you know, this kind of leads down the whole path of, you know, conspiracies that you see floated around with Dr. Fauci or with vaccines or uh, scientists. We're also called not to bear false witness. I mm. see a lot of Christians mm. willingly undertaking character assassination of people that they've never met based on things that they don't know or can't confirm are true, you know, based on, you know, kind of YouTube conspiracy theory videos and, um, you know, memes and, and, and sort of fear mongering approaches to a public health crisis where, you know, I, I, it seems like the best way to kind of represent the church right now isn't to make principal stands about the rights of people who are in the vast majority of this country. Christians are still in the majority. Um, I think it is to listen to what you know, scientists and officials and doctors are saying that we can do to stop the spread of a disease that is really, you know, it's killed 170,000 people, people, you know, and and that number is probably going to grow. And so I think it's the third highest uh, cause of death this year in America, which is insane. When you you really break down those numbers, you know, there's how fat Americans are, you know, heart disease. And we're only like halfway through the year. I mean, yeah. 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 So, so, you know, I, I understand the, the outrage that some people have at, at, you know, when, when things like this are are happening, you know, what, what happens to the idea of, so if we were in Romans, right. And, uh, Paul is writing and he talks about if meat offends my brother, I won't eat it. Mm. So it's like, it's really weird in a sense that you'll see Christians, the biggest 
pushback on like alcohol or marijuana or watching rated R movies or all these different things is the fact that it could cause your brother to stumble or it could it could offend your brother. Like if I see you walking into that rated R, uh, that rated R action movie, it might make me want to go walk into it and then I might shoot up people. And then there's like this crazy cause and effect idea. But the idea of wearing a mask for the sake, not for the sake of you, but for the sake of not hurting my brother. Like, why in the world are, is that not the person should be leading like, in this? They should yeah. be leading in that. Like, yeah. you know, OK, I might think this is I might think this is way overboard, but it's just a piece of cloth and it could. Now, and I, like I had a conversation with someone. They were like, yo, masks are only proven to reduce the spread by maybe less than 30 percent. I'm like. 30 that's a lot like you, yeah. like like that doesn't matter just like yo this is a deadly virus like maybe we might want to just try to knock off 30 percent of the people that could die from it by wearing a piece of cloth like i don't get why why we can have this crazy theology over things that are kind of not that big of a deal like alcohol alcohol is not like okay are we going to suspend the liberty of alcohol or suspend the liberty of not wearing a mask like which yeah. one is the is is the the one that causes the most damage and right now it seems maybe you may want to sacrifice your liberty of gathering for just a, a split second not forever just until the spread is slowed down I, I don't really understand why that is so besides being uh, mastered by some sort of conspiracy theory. I don't understand why that's such a frustration, um, especially if, you know, my family, we've been having church at the house and it's been some of the most rich times I've had just hmm. teaching my kids about the scriptures. We've been doing Zoom calls with with our friends and, and having, a, we have a Bible study every Saturday and, and it's been extremely rich. So I'm like, I don't really know why people are so up in arms about this. It's I, just, just very I just don't understand this, this victim mentality that so many Christians have of like the world's against us. Everybody's against us. There's, you know, it's, this is religious persecution or a conspiracy to shut down the church. And then once Biden gets elected, all of a sudden COVID will go away. And like, I don't understand this like mentality. Like, where does that even come from? I mean, I it's like... Yeah, someone at dinner, we had dinner with some people the other night, and they said, I predict in November, COVID's gone and Black Lives Matters is gone. And I was like, what? <sighs> and then you got up from the table and <laughs> just told them as friends. Well, I did say uh, uh, a few things, but black I, lives don't stop mattering after December. That's what I said. Right. And so, but I think there's that idea of it's a, it's a power thing. Like you can't tell me what to do. And because, and if we start to do that for the good of the whole country environment world that we're looking at here with this global pandemic, um, Christians, oh. some very conservative right wing evangelical Christians would start to feel like this is the end of times. This is how mm. it starts. You make me wear a mask. The next thing is I can't go to church. And the next thing is the mark of the beast. And then the next thing is we have all lost all of our freedoms. It's interesting. You said the word power because on Sunday, this past Sunday, New York times had a op-ed or a story about this. Like people looking in from the outside are baffled why conservative, morally conservative Christian leaders support Trump so much when this mm. guy doesn't live one lick of what you say mm. is the standard, right? 
And, and so they, they did a thing, a breakdown of it. And what they determined was Trump went to the church and went to evangelical leaders and said, if you elect me, you Christians will have power. Oh, I did see that. Yeah. It was and the that, article where he also said I could yeah. shoot someone in the street. It's yeah. the same, same piece right. where he said I could shoot someone dead in the right. street and my people would still follow me. And he also right. said, and that, which is that is Wait, crazy. He said those words or they're saying yeah. he no, thought he those said, things. No, he no, said he, those things. Said, and so he like, said they're it. making the case that this is the thing is like the Christians didn't have a seat at the table with the Obama administration. And so they, they just craved the power and the seat at the table again. And so they did everything they could to get the seat back. And so that's the thing. And like now the, the power, well, where in the Bible did Jesus talk about that we should have political power and power over society? Mm. That's not, I mean, it's the antithesis of the Christian walk that he laid out that per my reading, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but. As I was gonna say, the most alarming thing the most alarming thing about this is as the pendulum swings, when that pendulum comes back, oh, it's going to swing really, really hard. And yeah. that's the and the problem is you're not going to like, especially some of the right wing. Like, think about it. What moral ground is Jerry Falwell going to have to wag his finger at anybody in a really far left season he's not going to have any leg to stand on franklin none of they're not going to have a leg to stand on like no one's like why would we listen to you you just you just four years ago was in bed with trump and this guy has been this and that and now all the documentaries have come out about the corruption and you were willingly supporting that when that pendulum comes back to the left it's gonna hurt and those those uh, things you were fighting for, like the things you were fighting for, they're going to be in massive jeopardy when that pendulum comes back because there's going to be well, no, I mean, no one's going to care. They're going to be like, yeah, well, we're taking all that away. And not only that, like, well, <clears throat> I think there's two things, uh, you know, one on like a small level, just with this case, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, segments of modern evangelicalism that have a very narrow view of what worship is, that it's confined mm. to musical expression, which e- serving your neighbor is can be, is an act of worship. Working hard uh, for the betterment of society is an act of worship. And, and two, mm. uh, just on that point, we're, we're called not to do public displays of, of prayer. Like the Bible tells us not to do them because they're going to be perceived as pious. It, it says, don't be like the hypocrites do and do this in front of everyone. Go do it in private. So that Ooh. way no one can accuse you of piety, which is what's happening right now. But the second thing is, you know, to Cameron, to your point, for anyone who, and, and this is something I've done, I've done recently. And, and that's that I feel, I would encourage people to go back and read the Beatitudes because Mm. right there it says, no, blessed are the ones who are persecuted because of righteousness, not because who preserve righteousness. It says the meek and and, and those who are persecuted. The other thing that, you know, when it comes to just like the political discourse right now, I'm not not to get all preachy, but this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. There, this this comes from Proverbs, and this will be my final point. But this is this isn't me projecting anything. This is literally just what the Bible says. There are six things the Lord hates, and seven that are detestable to Him. Now, when you think about these, think about just a 
current political climate. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stores, stirs up conflict in the community. What? Those are the seven mm-hmm. things that God, those aren't just like some people, a lot of Christians say, oh, all sins are equal. The Bible, that's not biblical. The Bible says there are things God detests and hates, and those mm-hmm. ones are outlined. And if you can honestly, you know, read those and, and not look at the implication of, 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 of what Christians are trying to seize right now and, and the means and, and the people that they're trying to seize them through, then, then I, I don't know how else you can, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, this is, that is so scripture. Are we supporting the things that God literally says, Hey, by the way, these are setting aside. I hate them. I hate, mm. a, I hate, a, 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 he doesn't say he hates stirring up conflict in a community and a person who stirs up conflict in a community. I'm not saying this about Sean because I, I don't believe that he is out there to to create division. I honestly believe mm-hmm. he's, he, you know, he he is passionate about worship. But I do think there are poli- people in positions of political power who this is their modus operandi. Let's stir up conflict, you know, false witness, uh, a rush to evil, ha- in- shedding innocent blood, a lying tongue, haughty, prideful eyes. This is, there's no other way of reading this, this verse, you know, Derek, to your, to your point, and that was amazing. Derek, to your point though, about the pendulum, I think that's what our audience has an opportunity. We need to be mindful of this. Like the, the, the older generation has taken Christianity and into a certain direction, one that seeks power and to control society, to impose their morality on others and all that kind of stuff. We, a generation coming up behind that generation, I agree with you, the pendulum will swing and not be very kind to these last few years of how Mm -hmm. the church has engaged culture. But I think there's an opportunity because the church and society will dismiss that kind of Christianity and Mm -hmm. it will be exposed as not Christianity. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, we have an opportunity from the ashes of that being burned to the ground, which is inevitable to reframe and reemerge as a different kind of Christian, you know? So to mm-hmm. me, this is an, a challenge and an opportunity in the long term to just put our head down and live the way that we feel like Jesus is calling us to live and not be swayed by the left or the right, not get swept up in political power. I, there, there was back in 2008, when relevant, you know, I, I was invited to give the benediction at the DNC. I was mm. a pro-life Republican at the time, but it was when uh, Obama was getting nominated. The night he was getting nominated, I was invited to give the benediction at the, at the convention because, you know, we represented young Christians and stuff like that. And they were different. And I initially said yes, because they knew I was a pro-life Republican. And I thought, look at the bridge building that that would show. Right. Mm. So I said, yes. And I got annihilated. My, my parents called all their ministry leader friends and I got annihilated by the evangelical church, mm. which just hardened me to go, I'm doing it anyway. You know what I mean? You're not going to pressure me. You know, I'm, I'm not of you. And, right. um, and then uh, a mentor, Rick Warren called me and he said, I woke up this morning praying for you. And I just want you to know, and think about Rick's reputation. He interviews and counsels presidents. He's like Mm. the Billy Graham of this era behind Mm -hmm. the scenes. Mm -hmm. Nobody can say a negative word about Rick Warren. 
he called me and said, I was praying for you. And I just want you to consider this politics will chew you up and sweep. They, they will sweep you up, use you and spit you out. You will be co-opted. If you move forward with this, you will be used as a pawn for an agenda that's way bigger than you. And don't let the appeal of this opportunity or whatever you think is going on is that other things are going on and just be mindful of that. And as I pray for you, I just pray that, you know, God give you peace about your decision. And I was like, I'm out. Like I, 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 that's the reality of it is politics wants to co-op church leaders, mm-hmm. use them and then spit them out. And they don't realize how it looks to the rest of us, how they're pawns for this other political game. And they think like, cause of the power and the appeal, whatever that, you know, they're winning. But I think that that era is over, man. I mean, it's at least it should be. And I think we have an opportunity to uh, reframe what it looks like for believers to engage in politics and in culture. And we need to all be praying about what that looks like for the next 10 or 20 years, because Derek, you're dead on. This is going to be exposed. And then that version of Christianity is to be burned to the ground. So. Well, the thing is hindsight. Oh, I was going to say hindsight is 2020. So there's going to be documentaries and documented things that we're going to be able to look back and say, just like when you you look back at your old high school pictures and you were like, yo, what was I wearing? (laughs) Like that's what life is going to look like for the Christian church after this is over, because there's not going to be a Republican in office forever. As far as, as a president, whether it's in, whether it's at the end of this year or four years from now. And what's going to happen is we're going to look back and say, dang, we really, what was we wearing? I think that's what we're going to look like, you know? Yeah. I think two things too, is the power thing that we're talking about and everything has gotten so um, separated that you have to, you have to be in one full camp. And if you are a Republican, you cannot think critically about any view that a Democrat might say. And I think that is a, I I hate that that's where we are. I interviewed Eugene Cho. I told you guys off air, I interviewed him, one of my favorite interviews ever. And he said that someone recently asked him like, you know, are you liberal or conservative? And his answer was on what issue? And I Mm. thought that is how we think critically about things Mm. is we Mm. go, okay, on what issue? I'm not going to align myself with a party so completely that I cannot use the brain that God gave me gave me to care about immigration reform because I'm pro-life and I, I, I hate seeing that so much. And the second thing I want to say about this whole conversation is Mm. whenever I get all just, you know, crazy, like I can't believe the church and Christians and all the things. Um, I have a friend who travels a lot internationally and she reminds me all the time, the church is alive and well, and it is Mm -hmm. not like this around the world, like around Mm. the world, people are having conversations about how do we reach our neighbor and how do we go to underground church today? And how do I stay alive? And I can't wait to tell people about Jesus. They're not all caught up in this mess that we see here in America. And that's encouraging to me that the church, we don't need to be scared for the church because she is alive and well, and she is doing her thing around the world. The church in Latin America is exploding. South Asia is exploding. Africa is exploding and in America is declining. And And here we are because we have to wear a mask. I think it, you know, I, I personally think every time you vote, you should hold your nose when you vote. Like, you, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm serious. Like, I agree. You, 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 you should be like, I am making, 
I am choosing, you know, you know, in, in, you know, presidential case, one of two imperfect options. Okay. And my job is to cast is to use my discernment and judgment to, to vote for the person that I think is going to do the greatest good. And if you're a Christian, hopefully perpetuate the kingdom of God. I'm going to do that. But I also know that they are flawed people and hold positions that I don't hold. But that means my job after I vote for someone is to hold their feet to the fire and to poke hole, you know, to be critical and not have my identity wrapped up in what political party like that. When you actually think about it objectively, to think people that would say I am a Republican or I'm a Democrat, I'm neither of those things. Like I am. I hopefully I would Mm -hmm. be identified as with my alignment of my faith. It is it is crazy to me that when you think about it objectively, that people would have their personal identity and self-worth and their worldview wrapped up in political candidates who are deeply, deeply flawed individuals, even if they no matter what their no matter what their, uh, you know, um, you know, political affiliation is. I think I think it's like. The, after you vote, then you should be extra welcoming to criticism of the person you vote for, because that's how democracy improves itself. Iron sharpens iron. When two mm. pieces of iron bang into each other, it's hard and painful. But that's the whole idea. If, we're, if you're unwilling to have your piece of iron hit by another piece, it's going to dull. And that's what's happening. We, we just dulled it down to these, you know, like platitudes that mean, you know, we're going to give Christians power. It doesn't mean anything. You know, here's the real question, Jesse. When are you opening your church? I'm ready to I'm ready to I'm ready to come to, you know, we, first Jesse we, church. Well, you know? I'll say this. We're, we're going to be a maskless, a maskless gathering. <laughs> shoulder to shoulder. Jesse's my bishop. I'm, I'm, I'm with it. They greet you with a kiss on the cheek as you walk into service every morning. Old school, old school. A greeter right up, right up on you, right up. And just FYI, I am a registered independent and have voted for both parties since 2008. So there you go. Um, We will wrap that up. We don't talk politics, FYI. We don't talk politics. (laughs) What? Stay tuned. Up next, Devon Franklin joins us. I'm a pretty boy, I'm stunning. Super speed sonic, I'm running. Super, super, super speed sonic, I'm running. Call me Big Papa, I'm stunning. I spot the dick when she wanted. I'm a bad boy, make loving. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bad boy, make loving. You're listening to Curtis Waters featuring Harm Franklin. Song is stunning. There's a heavy rotation in my house. Uh, well, I want to let you know before we get to Devon uh, that today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is something preventing you from being happy or achieving your goals or keeping you from experiencing peace? With the heaviness that's all around us right now, it can be difficult to find purpose and joy. And that's why there's BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You connect in a safe and private online environment. You can start communicating in under 24 hours and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and you can message your counselor anytime. To top it all off, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a relevant podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp dot com slash relevant. Join over one million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp h e l p dot com slash relevant. Devon Franklin is a best selling author, actor, and producer. You may know him for films like Heaven Is for Real, 
Miracles from Heaven, and his book, The Weight. He was also recently highlighted in the news and on this podcast for his huge new TV deal with CBS. Our very own Tyler Huckabee sat down with Devon this week to give us more details about that deal, why he wants to tell new stories about people of faith on TV, and his advice for Christian creatives who want to make an impact. Here's our conversation with Devon Franklin. First thing I want to ask you, Devon, is uh, it seems like this move for you is a pretty big deal. You've done a lot of movies, uh, moving to TV, pretty big shift. Why TV? What interests you about moving to television? From a faith standpoint, television is the final frontier. Here's what I mean by that. On the film side, we have successfully been able to get films of faith to a global marketplace. Uh, You know, I've been successful. My good friends, the Irwin brothers have been successful. Um, You know, the Kendrick brothers have been successful. Uh, And so many other people that are doing this type of content have been able to, you know, push it through the studio system and get major distribution around the world for film. However, when it comes to television, there are very few shows that are similar in tone and theme as the movies that I've been able to produce. So, you know, the opportunity in television is to really, you know, um, make progress where we can have content that in some instances, you know, will be faith friendly, family friendly, uh, and be able to do it through TV. Television, even though, don't get me wrong, film still is, is major and it has an incredible impact. You know, when you come, when it comes to television, especially broadcast television, you know, that's a, people turn on their TV. Like, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to get the kids situated. You don't have to, you know, get a babysitter. All that. You just, boom, turn on the TV. So television has a major, major influence in our culture, uh, in, our, in our community. And when you look at television being able to represent different audiences, the audience that's not represented on TV consistently is the faith audience. We're in a real era of television glut right now where there's just so many shows to watch. I'm curious for you as somebody coming into this game and, and interested in making real substantive content, what do you think is going to set your shows apart? What's going to make somebody who's flipping with their channel stop on one of Devon Franklin's shows? And this is one thing that, I'm, that, that I am committed to in television. The quality is going to be there. Sometimes, you know, in the world of faith, when it comes to content, it's almost becomes code for, you know, well, it, you know, it doesn't, we don't have the, quite, the production values where, you know, but, but it's, it's good for the kingdom. Well, no, no, I, no. I mean, you know, look, Michelangelo painted the 16th chapel. He was the greatest artist on the planet, making the greatest art on the planet for the church. And so when it talks about the TV shows that I want to do, I, I, I want the quality to be there. Uh, from the writing, directing, you know, the producing, uh, the acting, the marketing. Like, I want these to be high quality commercial shows that can be as competitive as anything else out there right now. I know you're really passionate about young people of faith getting involved in the entertainment industry. And I know a lot of people want to, a lot of people probably even listening to this want to, but they don't really know how, they don't know how to bridge the gap. Do you have any advice for people who are trying to make it in the entertainment industry, the creative industry, but just don't know how to do it? You have to study to show yourself approved. 
If you want to be a writer, you have to learn how to write. It cannot, man, listen, I don't know what you're going to include in this article, but I say this with love. You, you can't just say, oh, the Holy Spirit told me to write this script and it, here it is. It, it's, it's like LeBron James wouldn't be LeBron James if he just said, well, the Holy Spirit told me to play basketball. I haven't practiced a day in my life, but I'm going to get out there on the NBA stage and win. You won't win. It's the same thing in Hollywood. Yes, the Holy Spirit could have convicted you to write it, but you also have to go learn how to write a screenplay. You got to take classes. You can take them online. You got to get the right software. You got to read other scripts. If you are a director, you've got to direct. You've got to go get training. If you're a cinematographer, learn how to set up shots. Learn, uh, you know, what it takes in terms of com uh, composition. If you are an actor, audit acting classes. This, to me, is the area where so many artists of faith miss it. They have the faith part down, but they don't put enough time into the works learning the business. I'm running my own company now for five years. I was behind the scenes for 19 years. 19 years, and I'm now running for five. So before I even get a chance to do the thing I really wanted to do, I had to spend 19 years of learning the business, having the faith, but getting the works part right. And I see too many amazing, potentially amazing artists of faith miss it because they just go in the spirit, but they don't put process around that. was Devon Franklin. To read more from that conversation, check out the interview over at relevantmagazine.com. Listening to Broken Bells. The song is Good Luck. Okay, we have an unprecedented decision. In the 15 years of doing this podcast, we've never skipped slices. But that first segment and conversation about politics and faith went so long and so robust that we decided that we didn't want to like fly through a two-minute slices. We just wanted to punt it to next week. Now, that said, stay tuned because uh, in the final segment, your feedback segment, Jesse's going to bring a lightning round slice. So uh, just you don't want to miss that. But so up now, uh, author Jenny Lusco joins us. She's an author, church planner, and co-leads Fresh Life Church with her husband, Levi Lusco. Uh, we recently sat down with her to talk about trusting God, even when you don't understand his plan and recognizing that the journey to flourishing is often more challenging than people say. Here's part of our conversation with Jenny Lusco. So, Jenny, tell me a little more about this book. What do you mean by A Life of Flourishing? So really, honestly, throughout this whole process and before, like, I really feel like God has um, given me the opportunity to really live out what it 
this fight to flourish. And it's so messy and it's so, it, it really is such a fight to do the right thing and to walk in obedience and to love people and to love the people closest to you and to be a mom and to be a wife and to try to, to lead in some way. Like it's just, it honestly feels like such a fight because I think so often flourishing can seem so unrelatable and it's especially when we feel like we're failing. And I think that's the biggest thing I know in my heart. It's like I flourishing seems like such a, a far off thing that maybe will happen in heaven one day when I get there. But right now, like it doesn't feel like I'm flourishing, but that's the problem. Like we're lit. I feel like we're living in the wrong definition of what flourishing actually is because maybe we feel like it's supposed to be this beautiful flourishing garden and all everything's bloomed and it's all just like perfect, like a perfect garden, but we don't feel like it because of the struggle that we're in, because of the fight that we're in, because of the mess that we're living in every day that is not glamorous and not um, beautiful and not stunning and not, uh, not amazing. But, um, but that's really the point because everything that we're walking in and that we're struggling through and that we're fighting through is actually the very thing, the very ingredients, um, for flourishing. What are some of the things that hold us back from flourishing? Obviously we all want it. Why don't we all have it? Even in this age of Instagram and and Facebook and TikTok and all the things of just like, I mean, for me personally, like I'll look and see and everyone's house looks so beautiful and white and like uh, bright and uh, free of mess and free of clutter. And everyone looks so happy. Like I, I, I follow amazing people and amazing friends, but there's so many who like every picture they're smiling, like they just won the lottery and they look so happy and they're, hugging their spouse and they're um, doing all these fun activities with their kids. And like in that, in my mind, like that's flourishing. They're living like, so they're, they're so happy. They're, they're living their lives beautifully and they, they don't have a care in the world. And like you said, it looks like they have no worries about finances or, um, or anything. But the reality is like, I look at, I, I look, then I look down at my life and I'm like, okay, the reality is, um, my, my son just pooped on the floor and I, my, my living room is never like Pinterest worthy and photographable. And like, I just feel like I'm in a mess. And I feel that a lot of times in my heart too. And whether it's, uh, the, the grief that we experience or the, um, the struggle that we're in, like, it just doesn't feel like it's even a possibility that there's even a faint, possibility of flourishing right here where I'm at. But that's, but that's such a lie because we're not meant to live perfect lives. We're not meant to, um, to show everyone that we can do this perfectly and with smiles on our faces all the time and with, um, being dressed amazingly and, and having a thin waist and all these things like, uh, we can actually right here, right now, live beautifully, honoring God, like embracing the struggle uh, to cultivate and continue to cultivate this kind of life that we were actually born to live. So it sounds like you're saying we need to find a way to live in a a balance. People will ask me like, hey, how do you balance ministry life and family life? How do you balance 
um, your marriage and your kids. Like, and I don't see it as a balance. Like, I mean, you picture that, that gold old school balance where it's like, if you put heaviness on one side, then the other side is like, um, going up. And then if you put like, it's, you have to get it actually so perfect, uh, side to side weight wise that in order for it to fully perfectly balance. But in my mind, I see it just as like, it's not that as much as just there's pulling and there's tension. I think sometimes we can run from that feeling of like, man, this is so hard. There's so much tension between I, I want to be a good wife and just fully like dote on my husband and respect him and grow with him. But then I have all these kids who need me too. And I feel pulled. Um, if I choose my husband and go on a date, with them and leaving my kids behind and what is going to happen to them if I go on a trip with my husband or if I'm like homeschooling my kid like there's just that tension and I what I found is if you can kind of embrace the difficulty of it and the tension that's where you can trust God the most and I think that's the biggest thing is learning to trust God in it all. That was Jenny Lesko. To read the rest of that conversation, you can also head over to relevantmagazine.com. Stay tuned. Up next, it's your feedback in Jesse's Lightning Slice. Try Jesus. Please don't try me. Because I'm fine. I know what he said about getting slapped. If you touch me or mine, we gon' have to scrap. So, try Jesus. Please don't try me. You're listening to Tobey Nwigwe featuring Jabari Johnson. The song is Try Jesus. Don't try me. Because I'll throw hands. I love that song. I'll throw hands, buddy. I'll let you know. This is great. Uh, okay, so we told you, I told you mid-show, for the first time in 15 years, we skipped slices. So uh, I don't even know what to do with myself. But Jesse asked, please, can he bring a lightning slice before we get to your feedback? So here we go. Jesse, take it away. Okay. Uh, I was on Twitter last night. Obviously, I follow David Blaine. Um, he posted <laughs> three images last night. And the guys looks like 2020 is taking a turn. They are th- three images of a bunch of balloons floating up through the clouds. And as we were recording this very podcast, uh, he tweeted, he tweeted this. Okay. Let's turn worry into wonder and take magic to new heights. David Blaine Ascension, August 31st, only on YouTube Live. Guys, David Blaine's going to take a bunch of balloons out of the atmosphere. He's going <laughs> to float our cares away in, in an act of YouTube magic that involves balloons. Okay, so Jamie. Can we send Derek. him our cares? I'm with it. <laughs> Things I'm are with turning it. a corner, Jamie. I'm with it. <laughs> Jamie and Derek don't realize Jesse's longstanding fascination with David Blaine and stuff. So, guys, wait, wait, David when he Blaine said, is going to. Obviously, gonna... I follow David Blaine. I was like, dang, that wasn't real obvious to me, but you yeah, know. I'm it is what it is. It should be. It should be. David Blaine has seven followers and six of them are Jesse's burner accounts. <laughs> Yo! All right. It is time for your feedback. Two weeks ago, man, this show is just always, you don't know what you're going to get every week. We had to skip feedback last week. Two weeks ago, we were talking about aliens 
and how the news is essentially now, or the government is essentially now confirming the existence of UFOs. And we brought an astrobiologist and minister onto the show to talk about this. So we asked you, what do you think about aliens? Uh, you guys hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, and you also messaged us on Instagram at Relevant Magazine. Here are a few of our favorite replies. Titus said, uh, Titus says, it would certainly complicate my faith. However, <laughs> I'm confident that N.T. Wright will be able to figure out how we can respond with this forthcoming book, Surprised by Green Men. <laughs> Dang. I would read it. I, I would read it. Doug Oden said, uh, I'm for anything that doesn't place me or humanity at the center of the universe. If God loved aliens, maybe we could think of ourselves a little less, and that would be a very good thing. I think Doug was listening to our segment earlier in the show today about maybe it's not about me-centered Christianity. Ryan had a couple of interesting thoughts on it, um, but he, he references an article he's read about it, about would, uh, would aliens have access to salvation, um, or do they even need it? And he said one thing that he, he had read when someone was kind of pontificating about this was that uh, Jesus says that he has other sheep not of this fold, which we assume were first the Gentiles in the, in the New Testament there. Uh, but in the article asked, what if Jesus was actually referring to extraterrestrials? Princess, princess librarian said, OMG, you guys, how could Jesse be the only one excited about the confirmation of alien studies by the government? Jesse, <laughs> I like I'm how you read it I'm in sure that voice. you don't sound that way. Princess librarian. I, I, I'm sure you don't sound like that. But it, princess I was as shocked that. as you, princess. But, as yeah, shocked Je as you. Jesse, if you get access, please ask them about maps. I would like to know about extraterrestrial mapping. And hmm. would catalog if asked. Happy to send CV. Really, we really need some extraterrestrials to work on uh, Apple Maps. Like, no lie. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, I'm sure Not if they could work all the way from Mars to here, they could figure out how to get from my home to around the corner without rerouting 12 times. So, yeah. Uh, a lot of people uh, kind of brought up the question of, you know, the fact that there would be other life in God's creation, not, not, not shaking my faith, but what does that mean for the soul slash eternal implications? Like, do they need to be saved or are they just, you know, kind of soul like a dog or the animals or something, you know, that, that, mm. that would be the question be the spiritual question. And several people kind of brought up that line of thinking. But no one, it, I, I think that line of thinking is interesting because no one ever asked that about alien or about uh, angels you know what I'm saying? Like angels are living creatures that are, but they're already uh, in heaven. They're we see, we read about them in the not Bible too. Not yeah. all of them. I'm mean, true, but we angels, read about angels can fall, right? We, we read about the fallen angel and yeah. angels, and but we don't read about extraterrestrial people in the Bible, which is what stresses people out. But but I, mean, no, I guess the thing that I'm saying is okay. Or so allegedly, angels, a third of the angels fell out of heaven, right? Right. Right. Is that it? They're not any more. No more angels fell ever again. Right. So that's the, like we don't. It's so do clear they, that do, angels have but, free will and choice. So but they have maybe they have angel marriages and angel babies. 
Oh my gosh, this that's is this that's is what I'm saying. It gets well, the rabbit hole I mean, gets so much I mean, they deeper. Do, I mean, they do procreate in in the, the time before the, yeah, but the time before the flood. Jamie, a quick question for you: You've had a lot of discussions about aliens since uh, this was first uh, uh, you know brought up on this show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when it comes to the theolo- theological implications, hold on, I'm still back to angels. So they, Genesis <laughs> six, they procreate. They, yes. well, so they, no, they procreate. They they procreate with so there was a a group of uh, of demons who lusted after the daughters of men. No, they were angels at the time. They weren't demons. And what are they called? They were watchers. They were watchers. And their their offspring was a a half breed of angel and man called the Nephilim. That's right. And and a lot of Christians believe that that is part. Well, well, in, I mean, it's they were also the the giant. Like when when uh, Joshua and the spies go and say the land was occupied by giants, and we were like grasshoppers to them. They say the Nephilim, the 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 offspring of these angel human hybrids were giants that maybe had powers and that's what prevented the Israelites from first taking the the promised land mm-hmm. and uh you know that you know there's also other thoughts that they it, at one point they got out of control and that's why the, it was part of the reason for the flood there's a lot it's, of theories with it's that it's also the perspective of even uh in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah that the big issue wasn't necessarily sodomy as far as the people wanting men but they wanted the angels for because they wanted to do the same thing that happened pre-flood right so the idea is and then also the angels in genesis 6 aren't the third that fell out of the sky it's not the third that rebelled this was a different group of watchers that were supposed to there ideally were the people that were watching over humanity and instead of just watching over humanity they said hey we're going to Let's let's procreate with humanity. So that's the thing. Like we don't really, I don't even think we have a a, a perspective. I don't even think we have a perspective on what the Bible says about angels and their souls. What 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 is that? You know how how can you fall from grace if you were made like if you're an angel, right? They feel like clearly angels are falling from grace. So I'm like, how does that? So they have the will to choose that. They seem to. It would seem because you have a third that that fell out of the sky. Then you also have these watchers that that well, left their post and said, we're going to procreate I, with humanity. How does an angel in our mind, angels can't procreate at all. Right. Well, so I don't think we have a robust. Pers- I'll put it this way. I think we which is really crazy because a lot of European or the European Western Christianity think we know everything about the Bible. But when you start diving in and critically thinking and asking questions outside of, you know, can we drink alcohol or not? Then you got to. I know it's very interesting to go down a rabbit hole and talk about, are we visiting? Are we being visited by spiritual beings who have returned to the earth repeated times throughout the Bible? And there are seriously in times implications, but guys, we got to wear a mask. If we go to the grocery store, don't you think we should worry about that? <laughs> Jamie, real quick. Exactly. Before, I know we're running late. Have you guys, yeah, I know you've been talking to aliens. Have you guys even broached like, Hey, does, how does this affect? How does this add up with my family? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, we all, I've asked everybody, I was with my entire extended family this weekend at a river house and guys, a lot of us just, we, it, we, our brains don't care and we can't comprehend it. Like, you know, <laughs> I did, it's, I mean, it's just like, listen, I'm not trying to be mean about it, but you know, I got to figure out how to get my kids to do school and me work at the same time. I can't think about aliens right now, um, but, but when I did bring up, well, how does that change? Does it change anything about our faith? Then everyone went. Oh, I don't know. Like, it's just like, I don't know. Uh, it's so much. Uh, it's a spicy you angel better, You better thing. know. <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck on this angel thing. I don't know. Well, hey, that's, if anyone's that's, I'm more stuck on that than I am well, aliens. Well, listen, it, it, Dallas Willard actually has written about this and where, you know, the Bible talks about other gods. Like not, you know, there are hierarchies of, again, this isn't me. This is, you can read Dallas Willard's talk, you know, there are literally spiritual powers. There's hierarchies to, you know, spirituality and, and other gods are mentioned in the Bible um, yeah. and, and, you know, metaphorically, but also spiritually. And right. what but the like implica- no other gods before me. I mean, like that's a repeated exactly. thing. Not yeah. only yeah. that, but, but he but appointed implica- gods over areas. Yeah, exactly. He, there he are. There, who's he? God? God. God, yeah. the, he he said, "This is your area. That's your area. To other gods, area. yes." And he said, "I'm gonna grab Israel for myself, and I'm gonna make a fool out of y'all with the weakest nation." That's and that's so. That, and that, so and maybe that's, the other the gods are over king. other planets, over aliens. Maybe, but maybe there that's can't be connected. more than one god. There isn't. There's a Most High. That's why he's called the, the most, most High. But there, is, but there is, there are other gods in the sense that other gods in the sense that an angel's more powerful than you. To you, like that a is a G th- God. To you, that is a God. Little G God. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, well, I mean, because he says, "Have no other gods before me," but he also calls himself not just the King of Kings, but he also refers to himself as the Lord of Lords. The Lord of Lords. Uh, he's it, the it, Most it, High. It, it, you know, there are again. I'm probably butchering it, but there is John Mark. Uh, John Mark Comer has written about this um and, and so so is dallas willard and the they're that, way the, better the, theologians than, the than thing i am that is crazy to me if you grew up in the american church the version of god that you were taught is not the god of the bible is hmm. i mean it just isn't the god of the old testament the true god i mean jesus is teaching i mean we just weren't taught this we were taught little felt figure stories and we were taught don't do morality. We were taught morality, right? And then, yeah, Jesus, simple kind of gospel road stuff. But we weren't, we don't, we weren't wrestling with the stuff the Bible actually talks about. You know what I mean? Like it's foreign Jesse, to us. Yeah. So I'm going to need you to send me the book about the little G gods. I will. 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 Amazon.com. <laughs> Tell me the name of it. It's what yeah, I yeah. mean. I'll, 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 I'll look. I don't need yeah. you to buy it for me. Yeah. Here's a scripture in the English Standard Version. So it just depends on what you would call the sons of God. Most of the time when you see sons of God in the scriptures, it refers to to angels or a um, to some sort of uh, spiritual being, angel or whatever. But it, the English standard, Deuteronomy 32, 8, it says, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of people according to the numbers of the sons of God. Most of the time, sons of God means angel when you look at it. So that that is the scripture that people would use to talk about but, that. But wouldn't a lot of people talk, refer to that as like we're all the children of God. And so the sons of God would be like. Yeah, but that, that's the English. That's the English that's understanding the English. of, of you, have, you know, yeah. ancient Hebrew writing. But, you know. It, 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 when you dig in, there's there's a lot of interesting thoughts about this, but yeah, it is largely ignored. 
Um, I've never it, heard this in my entire life. Contemporary <laughs> evangelical. You know, I told teaching. you, Jesse, hey. we need to do a podcast, there bro. I'm trying to tell you. My Baptist high school didn't teach me this stuff either, so don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. Well, so that uh, there's your feedback about aliens. There you go. So now I have so many more questions, but Jesse already teed up this week's question. So it's time for... Do not reply about rock monsters, angel babies, or any of the stuff we just talked about. The question of the week this week is, what old school sitcom would you want to see rebooted as a gritty drama? A Christopher Nolan version of a campy sitcom. Mm. So hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, or you can message us on Instagram at Relevant Magazine, or you can comment on the uh, podcast post on our, on our feed. Um, man, my mind's still spinning about the angel babies, but all right. it's a whole, what a day. It's a whole, what a day. What a day, guys. My afternoon shot. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Maybe next week we'll get back into that. Um, many thanks to Devon Franklin for joining us. You can follow him on Instagram at Devon Franklin. And also thanks to Jenny Lesko. You can find out more about her book, Fight to Flourish on her website and follow her on Instagram at Jenny Lesko. And on that note, my head's still spinning. We will wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jamie Ivey. And I'm a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> Man, Derek, ever since you came on the podcast, we've gotten into way more theological discussions than we did in 15 years prior to this. I love it. I am here for it. Let's do All it. Right. All right. We'll see you all next week. listening to the relevant podcast check out our features interviews and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com and make sure to follow relevant on twitter facebook and instagram for the latest for more great podcasts check out our relevant podcast network featuring shows like relevant daily signs of life unedited and many more launching throughout the year I'm just worried about God getting hurt. Relevant Podcast Network.